When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, it means every part of your life is under the power of God. There's nothing that's not under His power. He is the third person of the Godhead operating in perfect love. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcasts, you know that we're in a series of teachings about the advent of Christ. If you've missed any of these broadcasts, you can find them on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Today, David takes us to the Gospel of John in a Christmas story called The Holy Spirit. Today we're going to finish this series on the Trinity. It has been an appropriate message, I think, for the Christmas season because really the Trinity is what helps us understand what's going on at Christmas. We've looked at the Father and the Son, and today we'll look at the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask this question immediately, and it's been the first question I've asked throughout the whole series. In case you haven't been here, what is the Trinity? The Christian faith is not polytheistic. We do not worship three gods. Uh, We worship one God in three persons. That has been the historic statement of the church. Is it a mystery? Absolutely. We claim to not understand everything about God. If we did, we'd be God, right? So there are parts of our faith that we don't understand, the Trinity being one of them. But it is a clear teaching of the Scripture. It is clearly taught in church history that we believe in one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that God is social. God created us to live in community. He himself has lived in community. We looked in the last two weeks at the Father and the Son, John 17, 23, and 24, how the Father and the Son live before this world was ever created even in perfect love with one another, in perfect love. The term is agape. We in the English language in America only have one word to describe love. It can mean anything from two teenagers in the back seat of a car to my mom and dad having been married 63 years with my dad holding my mom's hand at the end of her life after 17 years of that audaciously awful disease called Alzheimer's. I think biblically, the latter illustration of my dad is much more what love is. The term agape means the total unconditional acceptance of the other person just the way he or she is. It describes God's love for us. Aren't you glad God's love for us is unconditional? Aren't you glad he didn't wait for us to become perfect before he came in Jesus? Otherwise, he never would have come. So the Bible teaches that the Father and the Son, the two persons of the Godhead, lived in perfect love with one another before this world was ever created. They totally shared love with one another. The third person of the Godhead obviously is a part of that love relationship. The Father loved the Son with agape. The Son loved the Holy Spirit with agape. The Son loved the Father with agape. They all intermixed with one another in perfect, total acceptance of each other just the way he or she is. Then the question arises, as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, why were you and I created? What was the reason? And the reason is because God wanted to place that same agape in our hearts. Because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so loved the love they had with one another, they wanted to share it. And the illustration I used a couple of weeks ago was with my daughter, Bethany. After she gave birth to our third grandchild a month or so ago, the first words out of her mouth as she held her little new baby, Emily, in her arms was, I want another one. Why? She said, because my heart is so filled with love for all three of my children, I want more and more with whom to share that love. That's why you and I were created. The love in the father's heart was so great, he wanted to create millions, trillions of more people in whom he could place that love. 
because it's what existed in the Trinity. It's what allowed God to be God. Next question then. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the third person of that Godhead? We've looked at the God the Son, God the Father of the last week. Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, interestingly, in John 4, Jesus said, the Spirit blows as he wishes. He is like the wind. Notice he. He's a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. He blows like the wind. Have any of you ever been able to control the wind? Can you tell the wind what to do? The wind blows as he wills. Jesus said the Holy Spirit blows as he wills. He is sovereign and does what he wants to do as God is. But he's also called affectionately by some theologians the shy sovereign. In the early 80s, Marilyn and I saw how the church had completely neglected the Holy Spirit. Then we saw how the church overemphasized the Holy Spirit in the charismatic renewal in the 80s and 90s. We always thought the Holy Spirit does not want to draw attention to himself. His purpose is to point to Jesus. So he's the shy sovereign. He doesn't want attention drawn to himself. Nevertheless, he blows wherever he wants to blow. He's self-effacing. He's other-centered. He is the third person of the Godhead operating in perfect love. So the next question then is, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Let me pause and ask this question before I answer that question. Are you ready? Are you ready to explore what is the work of the Holy Spirit? If you are, tell me yes. All right, now, fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. A biblical overview of the work of the Holy Spirit. One more time. Are you ready? All righty. First work of the Holy Spirit, creation. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, read the next part with me. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have here in creation, when the world was formless and void, uh, the Hebrew term is tohu wabohu. Say it with me. Tohu wabohu. Now you know a little Hebrew, okay? It means formless and void. When God originally looked at this world, it was formless and void. It was without order Darkness covered over everything, and it was God who spoke, and it was the Holy Spirit who created. It was God who spoke, and the Holy Spirit created this world. He created the moon and the stars and the sun. He created the skies and the mountains and the streams. He created the vegetation life and the animal life. The Holy Spirit is the creator of this world by the word of the Father spoken. Also, in Genesis 2, 7, we see that God created Adam, and he took out of the dust of the ground and formed Adam's body. And Genesis 2, 7 says that God breathed into Adam life. That term breath, ruach, in the Hebrew means wind. It means spirit. So the Holy Spirit blew life into Adam's nostrils, and Adam became totally a human being created in the image of God when the Holy Spirit, God's presence, came in to his heart. So the Holy Spirit is the creator of God through the word of God, breathing life into God's order. Secondly, incarnation. 
Now, you know that in Genesis 1 and 2, everything operated perfectly, but in Genesis 3, there's a rebellion. Adam and Eve rebel against God. They want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be God themselves, and when they did so, they invited the curse of sin into this world. Sin now permeates every part of God's created order. In nature, within us, the evidence is death. God never intended you and me to die. Death is the wages of sin. Sin has permeated everything and anything, including within us males, every sperm in our body. It is bent toward self, bent toward taking care of me. And every ovum in a woman's body is bent toward self. Everything has been under the curse of the law. Now, in our culture, it is hard for people to admit that they are conceived in sin. A sinful sperm, a sinful egg produces a sinful person. Bent toward the world revolving around me. And as I joked last week, if you don't believe that, have a kid. None of us as parents have ever tried to teach our kids how to sin, have we? We've never had to teach them how to have the world revolve around themselves, have we? Sin is a part of our nature at the moment of conception. And God knew that. So with the fall, having permeated everything, he looked at this world that he dearly loved. And more than anything else, he wanted to have an agape love relationship with us. But that had been severed at the fall. The Holy Spirit who indwelt Adam and Eve now left. They are in their own hearts, tohu wabohu. They are formless and void, darkness hovering over their insides. But God's holy, and he hates their sin, their selfishness. He hates our selfishness, yet he wants to have us have a love relationship with him as he knows with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? In eternity, he one day he turns to the Son and said, would you go? Would you go put on human flesh, clothe my holiness in human flesh, and would you be birthed in a cradle? God becoming human. I joked last week, chili con carne, flesh, meat with flesh on. We believe as Christians in God con carne, God with flesh on. That's what happened in that cradle. God put on human flesh in a baby. Perfectly God perfectly human. He had to be both. And this baby grows up, and he perfectly obeys the righteous requirements of the law. And then he goes to the cross, and all of our sin is poured upon him as the perfect man. There had to be a human who lives the perfect life to pay our price, and Jesus did. But also, who's the offended party when we sin? Let me ask it again. Who's the offended party when we sin? God is. When we sin and rebel, God's the offended party. So only God can forgive our sins. So Jesus is perfect human and perfect God. And when he dies on the cross, he takes our sins upon himself, paying the price only he can pay as the perfect human, but he's also perfectly God who pays the price for our sin and says, you're forgiven. And then, folks, what happens is we invite him into our hearts and we receive the forgiveness of our sins and God then breathes life into our new hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, hang on to that. I'll come back to it. God takes our formless, tohu, wabohu, dark hearts, and he speaks a word, and he births the Holy Spirit into us by his power so that he gets all the glory. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's a total free gift by grace from God. 
Now, the incarnation, God concarnate, when that happened in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we have some incredible insights. When God took on human flesh with Jesus, he knew he had to bypass the sperm and the ovum's fallenness, brokenness, under the curse of sin. So what did he do? An angel named Gabriel came to Mary, a virgin. She was probably around 13 or 14 years of age. And he said, you're going to bear a child. His name is Jesus. He's being created in your womb, and you will give birth to this child. And Mary's response was, naturally, how could this happen? I haven't had relations with anybody. And here's what the angel Gabriel answered her. Read it with me. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The term holy means without sin. He'll be the very Son of God, God in human flesh, the second person of the Godhead. And what God's going to do is to speak and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, overcome you, and the Holy Spirit will create that child in your womb. God will bypass the broken, fallen sperm and ovum of human beings, and he will, by a single word, create out of nothingness in your womb, Mary, this child, born of a virgin, holy, sinless, the Son of God. So we see the Holy Spirit at creation. We see the Holy Spirit at incarnation. We also see the Holy Spirit in the inspiration of the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Would you read it with me? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Do you see what it's saying? This book that I preach from every week to you, that I have depended my entire eternity upon, is not the mere words of a mortal human being. It's not the opinion of man. This book was breathed out. See that term again? Like the Holy Spirit breathed into Adam and created life within him. This book was created by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, the authors of this book weren't mere stenographers who were hearing the Holy Spirit speak to them and then writing out the words. They wrote in their context, in their situation, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write exactly what God wanted. So when I speak every week, I try with every ounce of my being to say to all of you, thus says the Lord from his word. Because this book was inspired by the breathed out Holy Spirit in the hearts of its authors. Fourth, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the church of Jesus. Again, God knows that he is communal and social in his love relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created us to be social. So after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came upon the church and formed the church. Paul then talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 how there are the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the church. They have caused great division in the church, sadly. May I just give you my brief overview of what these gifts are meant to do. They were to help the church bring together Christians who had become an army because God knew we needed each other. We can't accomplish his mission alone. So we're to be an army that marches into the world with the glorious message of the gospel, serving the poor, caring for the needy, 
And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to help us accomplish that task. The gifts of the Holy Spirit can be divided into two particular paradigms. There are the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are the natural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not able to cover all of them in this short period of time, but here are a couple of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are the gifts of wisdom and discernment that God gives. I've operated in that giftedness with you from time to time. It, it should operate in your life groups. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a discernment, a word for somebody else about their lives. I was one time walking around in this room during a worship service praying for you as a body, and I was right over there. And I looked to a couple seated in the middle of this section, and all of a sudden, speaking words I hadn't planned to speak, I said, your son is okay. And then I went and prayed some more. Well, after the service, someone came to me and said, did you know that that couple's son had been killed in an automobile accident a month or so ago? I said, no, I didn't know that. They hadn't been in church in 20 years. That Sunday, they decided to come and worship, to get some hope. And they heard me look straight in their eyes. I didn't even know them. Your son is okay. They went to their car and cried for an hour like a baby. Because the Holy Spirit gave me the gift of discernment and wisdom to speak to them at a tragic time in their lives, assuring them their son was okay. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a Christmas conversation about light. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals will shift to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry thank you very much 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hello, Jen. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, you titled this morning's Moment of Hope, Light, and this seems appropriate for this time of year. Well, we're looking at words that describe Christmas leading up to the actual Christmas day, and one of those words I wanted to emphasize during this Christmas season was the word light, and it's throughout the Gospel of John, especially to describe Jesus that he came in John 1, for example, to give us light and life. We also see that in John 8, 12, Jesus called calls himself I am the light of the world. Now, he said that during the Jewish feast of Hanukkah, and for those who may not know, the Maccabean Jews were against Antiochus Epiphanes IV during the second century BC, around 167 BC. And Antiochus Epiphanes IV was an evil, godless man, and he went into the temple and spilled pig's bloods everywhere. He killed about 80,000 Jews who would not buy into his particular form of faith. He was just a wicked individual, and the Maccabeans led the revolt against him. They overthrew him, cleansed the temple, and then they put up a menorah, which only had a few hours of oil to keep it lit for the people to see God's miraculous power through the Maccabeans. But it stayed lit for eight days. Wow. A miracle. Wow. That something that only had a few hours worth of oil lasted eight days. The menorah lit brightly. And it was against the backdrop of the celebration of Hanukkah and the Maccabean revolt that Jesus said to all those who had gathered during that period of time, I am the light of the world. Mm. I am the menorah. So when you think about Christmas, think about Jesus as light. Light always overpowers darkness. Think about all the light that surrounded his birth into this world. Think about the star of Bethlehem mm. that led the three wise men from eight, 900 miles away to that Bethlehem stable, and that star rested over the stable as a light to show them where the Christ mm. child existed. Uh, think about the shepherds in the field, and suddenly an angelic army <laughs> appeared to them in a bright light that said to them, go and celebrate the birth of this Christ child. So you had very lowly members of society, the shepherds there in the stable. You also had some years later, probably two to three years later, the wise men showed up, the very highest levels of society, but both worshiping the wow. Christ child, showing that he came for us all to save us from our sins. He is the light of the world. He overpowers darkness. He shows us the way home. This is amazing. When you were telling about the shepherds, I remembered several years ago when really that scripture specifically came off the page and came alive to me. And I just remember I was just so full of joy when I was imagining this light shining around the shepherds as this great announcement had taken place. And I just was starting to cry. I was laughing and just the beauty and the mystery of the humility but also the light and the leading, the the, the humble shepherds to the Christ child. It's, Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's astounding, Jen, when you think about it. And let me leave our listeners with this verse from Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And during that day, they had to tie lamps to their feet to be able to walk in the darkness. Mm -hmm. It just showed them the next step. But when we're faithful to the Lord, he is our light. We live in his light, and he guides us to that next step wherever his destination for us may be. So good. Thank you so much for your thoughts today, David. Thank you, listeners, and walk in his light. If you do, light always overpowers your darkness. 
This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for unity in our city this Christmas season. 